Hey Jack, good to see you. How are you? Very well, thank you, Shabri. Great to see you too. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us today. Um, I know when I reached out and asked you, I said that we've had five podcast guests out of five rave about Sales Loft um, and everything that you're doing. And so I thought, who better to ask than, than you to join us and and share some uh, tips and tricks for our um, our listeners. Um, but uh, your your background is particularly interesting, Jack, because I know when I first met you, you were an SDR at Sales Loft and, and I've had the pleasure of receiving a demo from you as well. Um, and, and sort of going into that um, AE role now, um, and I know that prospecting is still top of mind for you. So um, let's start, if you don't mind, Jack, with, with just a bit of an introduction to your, um, to your journey at Sales Loft and, and a bit about um, what you're doing there. Sure, great. Yeah. So I started Salesloft back in 2019, as you said, as the first SDR here, and I've seen since risen on to be a senior account executive. So risen through the ranks. And luckily for me, I sell to salespeople. And selling at Salesloft means that I sell a platform to salespeople that I was a power user of um, as a sales development rep. I'm a massive sales nerd. Um, I run my own podcast, so it's nice to be on the other end of it with my colleague Jack called No Big Deal. And I've also helped build the SDRs and A's of London communities in London. So, you know, I'm all about upskilling sales profession, learning lots and, you know, delivering lots of value to our customers. Amazing. Well, I love a pun, so I automatically love the name of your podcast. Um, sort of annoyed I didn't come up with it first, but um, but uh, yeah, okay. So you've mentioned that you were the first SDR at, at Salesloft. Um, so just out of interest, um, since you started as an SDR in 2019, and we fast forward to now, middle of 2023, what are some of the biggest changes you've seen as it relates to um, that sales development role? Yeah, great question. I would say that back in the inception in 2019, email was the best channel to book meetings on, I felt like. And that was because it was the inception of when video was starting to arise across the European market. Now, in the US, video prospecting had been used for a couple of years, and I would consider myself a bit of a pioneer for it in Europe. You know, I was using it, what's 2019, four years ago. I think the statistics said that, you know, back then, only 7% of European organizations had tried video prospecting, let alone used it effectively, which was a great stat. So a lot of my initial success back then was video prospecting. Now, fast forward four years later, who hasn't done it? And if you haven't done it, like, come on, you're definitely well behind it. And I think from the maturity of video prospecting, what we've really learned is that certainly it resonates better with different personas in different markets than it does in others. For example, targeting chief information security officers, that vidyard might not resonate. What I've seen the mix now, specifically for me and our SDR team, phone is becoming back to king. You know, the need to uh, have peak contacts, mobile numbers to be able to get straight through them and the effectiveness of pitching on the phone and booking that meeting and using LinkedIn is definitely where we see most successes. But importantly, as a conclusion, you know, none of those channels work on their own. They need to be a synchronous with each other as part of a multi-channel cadence or sequence um, because every buyer in every different market and every persona chooses to be targeted will likely respond on the channel of their choice it's just finding the buyer where best suits them 
Amazing. That's that's um I like the word asynchronous. Um I, I think you're right. I think phone is, is certainly making a comeback. Um why do you think that is out of out of interest? I think email is like just overused. I think it may be a thing where people feel like they can hide behind emails. Yeah. You know, if someone's not interested, they just don't respond. If you get through to someone on the phone, I think people and sales reps are nervous at being rejected live on a cold call speaking to someone. And I think it meant that sales reps could hide behind email. The issue with that then became that every um, persona or buyer that was getting targeted was receiving tens, if not hundreds, potentially some days of emails. And it's so hard for the buyer to cut through the noise. Even if you're sending personalized emails, like are you falling in the inbox and are they seeing that personalized email as one of a lot of automated emails? Unfortunately, I think that also sequencing platforms of which the iSell have been used poorly by sales reps as automated spam cannons, which is not what they're designed for. They're designed for personalization at scale and multi-channel. So I think that's led to the, I wouldn't say downfall, but the less effectiveness of email as a channel for then buyers to move something. And I think we can see this consistently on LinkedIn, Chabri, you know, I, as a sales leader, only receive one or two cold calls per month. That's mental. I'd love to see how many emails they receive or LinkedIn messages yeah. outside of that. And the worst part is, is my phone number is out there, right? There are tools like Cognizant and Zoom Info. My, my phone number is out there. It's not like it's difficult to, to get my, my contact data, but, but yeah, I completely agree. You talked about um, the fact that none of these channels stand alone right and we've got to do this kind of multi-channel approach and I remember back in 2019 you told me a stat that really stood out to me which I think was um uh, the average seller gives up after eight uh, six attempts and the average buyer engages after eight and um, that was four years ago um and that that was a stat that really really stood out to me do you have any insight on how that stat has evolved um and what the kind of average number of touches are that people sort of give up and engage on out of interest that, that stat is still the same now. It's actually sales reps give up on less. It's three to four touches. Um, and 90% of B2B meetings are set after touch point six. Now, the crazy thing is that we see optimal cadence or sequences need to be 14 to 16 touches long in order to ensure that you're never leaving pipeline or revenue on the table due to your sales reps follow up. Now, alongside that statistic of, you know, needing to do six touch points, that's not six emails, like we've already talked about. That's at least six of phone, email, uh, LinkedIn, video, direct mail, yeah. uh, like a reach desk or analysis, et cetera, you know, trying to be as multi-channel uh, as possible. The other crazy stat is that, you know, we see in uh, with marketing generated leads, Serious decisions, have you heard about them? They're like the big marketing consultancy. They posted a couple of years ago, I don't know if this has changed now, that marketing leads on average are followed up twice. That's even less than outbound leads. Mental, right? Because I can probably hold my hands up and say, this is me before I had the tool that I, I'm lucky enough to sell now. And I was past a webinar lead by my marketing manager. Uh, sorry, Laura, if you ever listen to this. And maybe I'd call it and maybe I'd email it. And if they didn't get back to me, I'd be like, nah, they're not interested, right? So that, that's on average two. So if that's the average, how many get zero and how many get one? 
Whereas, you know, we see optimal, even inbound cadences or sequences need to be 10 touches long. So that's also a cool start. That's very interesting. I think I've probably been guilty of that as well. In fact, I definitely have. And I think there's also some bias. You know, you look at the HubSpot form or the Salesforce form and you kind of make your decision and you say, oh, well, that doesn't really fit within my ICP. So I'm not really going to bother making too much, um, you know, too much effort with them. All right. Because the outbound one that is that I think is, is you know, far more meaningful. Um, and so I've actually got a, my own scenario on this, Shabri, where I had an inbound lead come in from an end user. You know, it was like an account executive. Uh, this was back in 2000, uh, 2022, actually. So last year, uh, Q1 last year. And the aide reached out and been like, I used Salesloft in my previous company. Like, I'd love to be able to, you know, bring it on here. And I'm like, you're an AE, okay, <laughs> in a new company, in a big new company, and we've got to have to build this together. So, you know, I actually inbound SDR was like, Jack, do you want to take this? And I was like, okay, go on. My philosophy is that I will try and deliver value or sell to anyone. It doesn't matter. You know, it's up to me to be able to do that. And they ended up signing and we did a big compete. And it was like, so, you know, always follow up your marketing leads. You never know what um, might happen. Absolutely. And I'm also, a, 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 I don't know if this is something that you do at Salesloft, and we'll come on to the process shortly, but, you know, this bottoms up approach is becoming more and more popular, right? So speaking to the AEs, speaking to the end users, gathering their pain points, their challenges, and actually then taking them to one of your buyer personas as well. I think that's, that's incredibly powerful. 100%. So as I mentioned at the start, um, we've had a lot of feedback on our podcast that, you know, Salesloft have, have sort of built this um, really unique process as it as it relates to sort of go-to-market and sales. Um, and in your opinion, you've been there for four years now, what do you think has been done internally to to achieve this? And, and what are some of the main focuses? Great question. Test and learn, test and learn. Like, that's my big, big, big um, key takeaway. If you have software that can A-B test, then even better, regardless if it's marketing campaigns or if it's sales-esque outbound yeah. campaigns. Um, and I think the important thing is if you are lucky enough to have some sequencing or cadencing type software for prospecting, try out what the messaging is like per industry, per persona, and then potentially you can collate that into more central themes. So I'm lucky enough to be a bit of a case study at Salesloft myself for our outbound prospecting. You know, me and the famous Tom Boston. If you don't follow his content, then you definitely should. We were the first SDRs here. And the spine, I like to call it, of what we tested back in those early years of 2019-20 of our cadence when LinkedIn connection request telling the buyer that we're going to send a vidyard, send the vidyard in the afternoon, the next day was a cold call, and two days later was an email that said thoughts. That, at the time, looking back, was fairly revolutionary, we would consider. And we used to book an incredible amount of meetings from that. But that spine that we tested and learned there is been fleshed out. And there's a lot more, you know, meat on the bones of what the now 40 or 50 SDRs and sales loft in London use. And I think the important thing to notice is that what, uh, across geographies, you can't standardize what messaging is because our messaging that resonates, you know, to European buyers, even lo- more locally to DAC or to, you know, the French market is different to what it would be across APAC in the US. 
So that's it, because you, you talk about what you and Tom did when you were the first two SDRs, and, and it's it's quite easy, I imagine, or it's easier when there's just two of you to sort of, you know, A, B test, and actually you're still quite unique. You fast forward to 40 or 50 people using that approach, it starts to dilute it, I imagine, right? It starts to be less unique, less less individual. So how much of that is driven by the SDRs themselves, and how much of that is driven by sales loft to say, you know, here's the process that we, we believe you should be following. And here's, we're going to train you toward that process. So how much of it is individual versus sort of company, company led? I suppose there's pros and cons. And I would potentially counter your point and say that did me and me and Tom were able to be agile with less so we could change and adapt quicker. However, we didn't have as much data. The bigger the data pool, the better the decisions you're going to make are. So maybe if your team is 50 SDRs, you're going to be more informed quicker rather than me and Tom, you know, making a decision and all being able to change it quicker. Was that the best result? We were successful at the time. Um, My always go to best practice is to test something 100 times, minimum 50, before you make some form of educated guess on it. Even at Salesloft, our best practice, Shabri, is we don't change our cadences on a monthly or weekly basis. It's quarterly. That's how much data we've got flowing through them. So we have central cadences across different business divisions, different geographies, where that cadence will be analyzed on a quarterly basis by sales development leadership and sales management, and then edited based on that. Okay, this call to action worked, this didn't this um, pitch work, this didn't, this LinkedIn connection request works, you know, maybe it's better to send blank, maybe it's better to send this message. Interesting. So there's pros and cons to each. Yeah, interesting. So for a company who wants to kind of start setting up this approach of test and learn, um, it sounds like your advice would be 100 times minimum 50. What, what else would you recommend to, to someone who wants to start taking that approach? Um, by some form of cadencing or <laughs> sequencing uh, platforms, you know, that's not saying to, you know, use Salesloft, but HubSpot have their own, Salesforce have their own, there's Salesloft, there's Outreach, there's loads of other players out there. Having some form of consistent multi-channel approach allows you and your team to be a lot more data-driven where you can understand what works and what doesn't work. If you don't have that, then every sales rep is sporadic and ad hoc and they have their own process and you can't codify across different personas, markets, et cetera, what works and what doesn't. Hence why, you know, the software that we sell is is a must have. It's not like, a, you know, m- most scaling businesses will have it. Uh, it's a need. Luckily, I can say that. Um, is there anything else? No. So we've spent we've spent a lot of time talking about um, sales loft. I want to uh, switch the conversation to now kind of more you and the success of you. And we talked a lot um, recently about kind of the three the three things that we think are important, right? So be human, be relevant, and be channel specific. So I wanted to just switch gears slightly and talk a little bit about the online profile that you built up. You mentioned at the start you've got a podcast now, which is which is amazing. Um, what impact is that having in your in your sales process, and and what's your journey been like to create that online profile and and that you know that element of being so human and being a thought leader in in that space? That's a really good question. My first bit of advice was don't 
do these things and aim to get results. Because that's not why I think people do them. I think be yourself and do it because it's a passion of yours. Otherwise it's forced, right? Like I myself, you know, when we originally set out to create SDRs and A's of London, it was a personal whim for me not to, you know, book meetings or create opportunities. It was, I wish I could find out what other SDRs or account executives were saying in different companies when they were getting objections on the phone. What personalized emails were they sending? What connection requests were they sending? What voicemails were they recording? From an A perspective, how were they negotiating? And we found that there was no centralized place for you know a sales community to go and have those discussions to get quick answers uh, outside of their most immediate you know sales team, which in all, mo most cases isn't you know a hundred reps on a Slack channel. Outside of that, you know the, the podcast itself. It, it, Jack came to me after I came back from my sabbatical. And again, it was the same thing. Like there's no centralized place where, you know, we can learn from each other and these like big deals that we close because with no big deal, big deals don't just like happen. Yeah. You know, you don't get lucky in your first month and land some big hundred K or 50 K, whatever it is, or a million dollar deal. Like they learn because you lost quite a lot of the time and you learn from those mistakes to get to the point. And, you know, every business that, or every AE will do some form of war room or deal room where they'll speak about deals and what went wrong and what they wish they'd done differently. And then we've created this podcast where we can interview top reps about, you know, what they wish they'd done differently in deals and how they won it, how they got, you know, to the economic buyer, how they delivered, you know, an implicated pain, et cetera. So yeah, both are not there to get results or to get opportunities there because I just love the game of sales and want to upskill myself and others around me. Amazing. I mean, it's really good to understand the, the context behind it. And and whilst the initial aim wasn't for it to be, you know, sort of directed to your sales success at Sales Loft, um, have you seen those things linked to your, your success at Sales Loft? Definitely, massively so. I think the important thing, Shabri, to consider and, you know, the obvious thing is that I sell to salespeople. Yeah. And I have now a large amount of credibility in the fact that I am a big sales nerd and I have a large network that has really helped me, especially when, you know, you mentioned before that bottom up selling yeah. There's a lot of the time I'll know an account executive or an SDR in a company that I can reach out to and be like, Hey, I'd love to chat about your current tech stack and what challenges you're facing. And then I can present that to management as part of my deal cycle. Amazing. Amazing. So we talked a bit about your role as an SDR. So as you went, in, as you transitioned into an AE, um, how much prospecting do you still do? And what, uh, and how has that shifted or evolved from when you were prospecting as an SDR? Yeah, good question. As an SDR, it's your life, right? That is your central role. Uh, and I think as an account executive, we will all be honest and say it's probably one of the first things that goes uh, as part of your daily tasks, unfortunately, it's yeah. like the thing that you evolved what you think you've evolved from. But the important thing is to block out time to make sure that that prospecting happens. And when it does, try and be really effective on that. So, you know, focusing your time on the tier one accounts in your book of business, going directly for cold calls, sending really personalized emails, sending really personalized LinkedIn messages, no automating emails at all finding and combing lost opportunities, contacts that you can speak to again and being a lot more, you know, efficient and effective with your time. 
amazing some some really good things there I love the idea of finding and combing lost opportunities I feel like a lot of people just let those go and actually there's there's no kind of re-engagement cadence or, or anything around that it sounds like you're still quite hands-on with the prospecting um and you know being there's there's few things that wind me up more than when I hear an AE say that that's not their role or responsibility anymore right and oh well our SDRs do that and I'm sure with your network of AEs you hear that often What's your what's your thought process on on that? If you if you do come across AEs who say not their responsibility and they don't do any kind of prospecting anymore, uh, I must say, well, good for you for hitting your target on all of those inbound and SDR leads. You're very lucky that you don't feel like you have to do some. My philosophy is always like this, Shabri. I I have to hit my target with self sourced ops that I've generated. And anything that I get from inbound or an SDR is a bonus. That's like how I've always envisioned it. So for me, you know, I'm going out there hunting whales, really. You know, the top tier accounts, potentially Ripper replacing a competitor of ours that's already, you know, in a large account, or I'm selling value. Um, I'm not really fishing out there for potentially the the ops that I'm going to get inbound that are generally a bit smaller, or, you know, that the SDRs may struggle to break in. They don't have the right messaging. Um, I think the important thing as well is that closed lost opportunities and the cadence that I have is certainly my best performing one. So generally, you know, sales is all about timing. And so is like buying deals. And I think that's the thing that gets most meetings. It's not potentially, especially at the moment when the market is really tough, uh, resonating and, you know, not everyone's got a pot of cash set aside to buy tech. And they never normally do, and they certainly don't have now. So I think most of the meetings we're seeing are coming through, okay, this is good timing, rather than, okay, you really hit a nerve with your prospecting. Now, the important thing here is in the closed loss nurture is to make sure that you are always delivering high value added content specific to the buyer in the next three to six month period. And I found out that over the past two years, because I was doing that so successfully, even on that initial potential compete against competitors, they were only speaking to sales loft after that three to six months. So I was the only vendor they were speaking to because I'd proven the value of almost the software that I was selling. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that, that's really, really powerful. So what would you, what would be an example of what you would do within that three to six months, Jack, just so you know, our listeners, listeners can contextualize? Yeah, great. So, you know, it, make sure that your opportunity notes are really filled out and you understand what the biggest challenge that that customer is trying to overcome. And hopefully you've got some form of marketing content or importantly, go and search for that content out there, you know, LinkedIn posts, um, webinars, blogs that are interesting that help, you know, or that were what you spoke about that prospect with. And it doesn't have to necessarily follow that really structured, you know, approach being like, I'm going to send them something once every three weeks, do it ad hoc, you know, make it conversational, just be like, message them on LinkedIn, hey, I just saw this LinkedIn post, thought you'd find it interesting. Don't ask for anything. Yeah. And I generally won't call them up and be like, hey, just thought, you know, how are you getting on? Most of it will be nurture led content via LinkedIn and email. And then you never ask for a meeting. They've told you in the buying process that it's not the right time. If you've got to that point, reach out in six months time. And I always caveat that with, hey, just to let you know, I'm gonna be keeping in touch from a distance with relevant content based on what we spoke about. 
and then you can reach out to me whenever you think it's good timing. Amazing. So a bit of a kind of upfront contract there and saying that you're just letting them know that you're doing that. So when they do start to receive the content, it doesn't come across as, you know, an ulterior motive. I love that. And I love what you said about not asking for anything. I think that's the mistake that, you know, I often see salespeople make. It's, well, I'm going to give you this, but what can I get in return? Is it a meeting? Is it a demo? Is it an introduction to the economic buyer? Whatever that might be. And I think this is what we've been talking about on previous uh, podcasts, which is all about being human and, and being relevant and what you've just said really really encapsulates that the relevance which is the content that they're interested in and then the being human is actually just caring and and sort of and you know reaching out with things that you know that they were interested in or struggling with so I think that's really really powerful I think I've got another point on that Shabri and that is not just for an account executive to use that is for any SDR or A looking to prospect into accounts my tip would be push buyers onto your most effective channel. So for us, you know, we spoke about Vidyard being our most effective channel. My LinkedIn message read, hey, uh, the reason I'm connecting is X. I'm going to send you a personalized video later today or tomorrow. Look out for it in your inbox. You know, so what I was doing there is I was giving to push them to the channel that I was trying to book a meeting on. Now you can do that anyway. You know, you could send an email telling someone that you're going to call them at 2.30. Or you're going to send a LinkedIn messages to tell them you're going to call them. Or you can do whatever, you know. There's so many different ways that you can do that to be effective. Give, ask. So I, I, I like that about pushing your buyers to the most effective channel. But then you hear a lot of people say, meet your buyers where they want to be met, right? Um, so I, for example, I'm terrible at LinkedIn messaging. I just don't like the user interface. I just don't like the way that it, it works. I, I'm much better on phone or email. So how do you balance that with meeting buyers where they want to be met versus pushing them to the channel that is the most effective for you? I think it's the most, it's less so more most effective for you. It's the most effective channel for your buyers. So what we saw is we were converting most on video. So that's why we tried to end up pushing our contacts to video. And of course, we're still trying to reach them on lots of different channels. It's just another technique for you to be able to be more effective. As we said again, test and learn, right? Test and learn. Test and learn. And I think the point you made earlier is, you know, CISOs might not respond super well to video. Um, So it's again, I think about a little bit more about the buyer persona and sort of taking into account personality types and things like that as well. Um, But super actionable tips there. So, um, so really helpful. Um, Okay, I want to I want to switch to the last question. I'm super interested to hear what you're what you're going to say here, because um, the reaction that we've had to this question has sort of largely been centered around sales love what we've asked previous guests. But I wanted to ask you in your in your opinion, what is an example of a rep or company who are really incorporating a lot of the stuff that we've talked about today um, that you are the receiving end of and that it really stood out and was special to you? I don't really get prospected at all, Shabri, so it's tough for me to say, but the other company that I see as thought leaders in sales, and I love reading their content, is Gong. I love reading Gong's content. There's a lot of sales reps out there that I follow um, that post really actionable insights into prospecting, cool coaching recording, which is what they sell. And I think that, you know, they nail it. it. I, I love all their content. Unfortunately for me, maybe one day, Shabri, I'm going to be prospected heavily, but as an AE, I don't really get 
that much. Well, I think that goes to what we talked about earlier, right? You're reaching out to other AEs for the systems up approach. You know, if people are looking to sell into sales lofts, I feel like you would be a really good person to reach out to. And I'm uh, sorry, I'm not inviting everyone to start prospecting for you, Jack, but you know, you'd be a good. Yeah, please do. I'd love to see it. I, I feel like that's. I think the concept of this bottoms up approach is still quite new. Um, and I think it sounds like that's something you guys have been pioneers in. Um, but I think we're going to start to see more and more of that. I, I used to do that when I was um, talking to companies about, you know, transformational sales training. I'd speak to the SDRs and AEs and say, you know, how's your onboarding? You know, what would you kind of like to see more of? And then being able to take that to the to a, to a leader, I think is, is really powerful. But I agree with you. I think Gong's content is good. I think it's it's actually very good. It's, it's I think it's very educational there's a lot of downloadable pdfs and actionable insights and tips um so i think that's a that's a really good one and for, for our listeners who haven't seen that before they, they can check it out okay um any final tips and and or advice that you'd give to anyone who's new into prospecting or struggling with prospecting as we head into the summer period good question summer months are going to be tough you know that's it is what it is um they were always my worst performing months to be completely honest with you but just stick to the process when people are coming back from holiday you know make sure that you're setting up time with them use people's out of offices you know to make sure that you're restoring their contact details so you can set up calls next time and just be consistent with your process you know don't give up hope yeah i like the out of office idea um really really good well look jack thank you so much it's been lovely to have you on um really appreciate all the uh the tips that you shared and really good to, to hear more about your story so thank you very much for your time no worries thanks a lot Shabri.